to have been purchased from a slave market to sin and self is a great cause for celebration. That's what redemption really means, that Jesus Christ purchased us from the slave market of sin and bought us out of that and placed, it in, placed us in his wonderful and amazing kingdom of light. It's cause for celebration, really, it is. But I don't know uh, what your circumstances are like this week or this month or this year, but is it not true that living tries to get in the way of our celebrating this great truth in our lives? There are just so many things that, that seem to war against us, as James calls them in his book, Trials and Tests and, 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 and uh, Struggles and, and all that goes against us. In fact, um, if I were to throw out a, a, a congregation-wide question this morning, so how's it going? A lot of you would quickly just say, no, it's going okay, it's going fine, all of that. But if you were actually to answer me truthfully, you'd say, well, it's really not all that well. It's really not going that well. In fact, life isn't fair. The workplace, my boss is leaning all over me. I mean, he's, he's expecting more and more production with less and less resources in less and less time. And it seems to me that he's trying or she's trying to capitalize on, on, on my reduced income to be, uh, boost up their profits. The, the health situation in my family is, is really rough. My spouse is really sick. And, and I'm, I'm losing ability to, to simply be that caregiver. I'm, I'm losing strength. I'm losing momentum. I, I'm really struggling. I'm battling with depression. I don't know what to do about it. Or, or maybe your, your kids are, are, are driving you crazy. They're, they're hanging around with the wrong crowd. And, and that crowd is stealing their hearts away from the living God. They're just breaking your heart. Maybe you find yourself with a situation whereby people are just slandering you all over the place. They're misunderstanding your motives, the way you are, whatever, and they're just talking about you. Or maybe you're finding that this temptation that you thought had long ago been laid to rest is popped back up in your life and it's just driving you crazy. You're feeling like such a spiritual failure. Well, in fact, you know, sometimes it may get so bad that we just feel like chucking the whole thing. Just throw it all in. It's just, it's just too hard to follow after the living Christ. It's too hard to, to swim upstream. It's too hard to cut across the grain. It's too hard to go against the culture that is really pushing us in one direction. It says in the word of God that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there are that follow that way, find that way. Narrow is the way that leads to the Father in heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But there is a lot of conflict in choosing that journey. And that's what James tells us about in his, uh, his letter, James. I wonder if you might turn there this morning to James chapter 5. I want to spend some time with you here. In fact, um, as James is sort of closing in on the finish line of his letter, he comes back to uh, his initial premise that there are trials and there are tests and there are temptations and there are tough times. And that's the reality of living in the kingdom of Christ. But really, in order to get to the finish line, 
living in a world that is at war with God, it requires a fundamental, distinctive quality that goes totally against the grain. I want to look at that this morning. I was going to look at two realities this morning, two distinctive qualities, but we're going to, as we found in the first service, we need to narrow that down to one this morning. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Didn't you need to hear that this morning? Yeah, I need to hear that. You need to be reminded of that. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Father, as we unpack this text a little bit this morning, before we gather around your table and just celebrate our redemption, our, our rescue from sin and, and self, our, our, uh, our granting by you of salvation that has given us eternal life, now and forever, our Father, I thank you that... Uh, that we can uh, understand what it is for, uh, that you uh, require of us in order to, to live effectively when the uh, culture around us is certainly at war with the living God and when there are still things within us that you are working out of us and the trials and the tests and the temptations and the tough stuff, the nasty stuff, Lord, Thank you for this instruction. I pray that you might uh, drill it deeply into our hearts, not as a simple resource of information, but Father, I pray that this might be a serious application that might be um, um, brought about for the, the benefit and fruitfulness of your people in our lives. One thing we know for sure these are a lot of tough stuff, Lord, that you require of us to face. So how can we live in that? How can fruit be produced in our lives? How can we bring honor to you? How can we benefit from salvation, Lord? So instruct us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said to you, what I see here is that um, what really I would summarize this section as how, how we are going to live with all the nasty stuff while we're waiting for Jesus to come and get us. You ever find yourself when things are really rough just saying, Lord, just like, why don't you just come right now? It'd be great. Just come right now. I mean, we really want the Lord to come back anyway, but, but sometimes it just kind of moves our hearts just a little bit more, doesn't it? Motivation is just a little bit stronger. Lord, this is really tough. This is really rough. And I, I just wish you'd get me out of this right now. So why don't you just come back and get me out of this? So James is talking about the fact that, that uh, the Lord is coming, but maybe not as quickly as you wish he would with all this stuff that's going on around you. 
And so we are required or we are called upon, we are in fact commanded to do something that goes really against our nature. That's certainly not by our natural instinct when we are under tough situations. Be patient. Oh, sure, Lord, that's easy for you to say. By the way, it's not kind of an option thrown out there as, hey, here's something you might want to I want to throw into the mix of your life and give it a run. See if it works for you. No, this is actually a command. It has the strength of, it's the same thing when Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. This is one of those things. Be patient. We're to be a great patient in the waiting room of God. He puts us there a lot. In fact, um, the making of a quality or a effective man or woman of God is not an instantaneous process. It doesn't happen fast. Salvation comes upon us in, in, in light, with lightning speed. The same God who called creation into existence, who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is the same God who said, light sh let light shine out of darkness in your heart. And so there was this instantaneous lightning speed conversion to Christ. But then begins the hard work of becoming like him. And depending on how much stuff is in you, how much of a struggle that will be, determines how long the process, but really the seasoning work of a follower of Jesus Christ is a lifelong process. So I want to give you this morning out of this text three strategies that I think are found here in this quality called patience. Three strategies. And the first is found in the first two verses, seven and eight. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Wait with calm expectancy because that's how everything really works. That's strategy number one. Wait with calm expectancy. The reason I call it calm expectancy is because that's really uh, unpacking in, in our uh, translation of the word, the original word patient here. It's a Calm expectancy. When everything around you is falling apart, when everybody around you is losing their heads, you maintain a calm expectancy. Hey, none of this is easy. None of this is even natural. This is why Christ saved us. Christ saved us and came and, and, and has come and, and to live inside of us by the presence of the Holy Spirit to change us. This is part of the change process in us. Uh, to learn what it is to be in, 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 in these difficult, pro, protractedly long times of, of trouble. And to wait with calm expectancy because this is how it works. Uh, we live... Of course, um, around us with instantaneous stuff. We, we live in, in, a, in a time of, of, of Pentium processors and megabyte memories. I, I'm probably already behind the times with even that description, Pastor Duane. Tell me I should be talking about terabytes and not megabytes. 
Pentium processors, what would it be now? I don't know. Do you know? Flops. I don't know if he's telling me the truth or not. <laughs> See, because he doesn't want me to ask him any more questions. So sometimes he, get, sometimes he gets like that. <laughs> but we live in this, what, wait, calm expectancy, waiting? Yeah, God says, because that's the way everything works. And then he gives us a really important illustration from nature. The farmer waits. Why? Why does he wait? Because that's how he gets a valuable crop. There, there is no other way. God is pointing to us and saying that this is the way it works. It works in the physical realm. I've, I've laid out the physical realm example so that you might understand the way the spiritual world works. The way it's going to work in your life. The farmer waits. And he has to wait for the autumn rain and he has to wait for the spring rain. He plants. And then he has to wait. And by the way, all of that's out of his control, isn't it? He plants the seed. And the rain has to come. And he has to depend on God. But God's not going to give him that harvest immediately. You know, earlier it said in the text that we're to, to plant peace so that we harvest righteousness. There may be some protracted time before that happens. You may have been working away at it and saying, Lord, when is this going to happen? When am I going to see this harvest of righteousness? All I see around me is hassle and trouble and struggle and, and people taking shots at me. I kind of like to see the harvest. And it's like the autumn rains have to come and then the spring rains. And by the way, in between autumn and spring, there is winter. And none of us think winter's really kind of a nice light time. It's the harsh time. It's a hard time. And, and so, you pl so, so the seed germinates by the autumn rains, and, and then it goes through the harshness of winter, and then the spring rain comes, and, and the farmer's waiting with calm expectancy. There's no sense in a farmer wringing his hands anxiously and saying, will it rain today? Will it rain tomorrow? Will it rain the next day? It's got to rain the next day. A, a farmer, if you lived like that, you'd go crazy. Wouldn't you? God says, listen, I, I didn't call on you to live with anxiety, to wring your hands and all of this. Say, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? When am I going to see this harvest? When am I going to see this, this resolved? When, when, when? It's no, no, wait, wait, wait. Be patient. Why? Because if you're patient, like farmer, the valuable crop will come. That's why he says in the text that you need to stand firm. If you translate that absolutely literally, that stand firm is actually to strengthen your heart. Be patient and strengthen your heart. Your heart will grow stronger. Not through anxiety, wringing of hands and impatience. But no, of waiting expectantly. Waiting, convinced. The farmer plants the seeds and, and actually believes that he's going to have a crop, doesn't he? He's waiting with expectation. And so it is in our lives. We wait on the Lord expecting the good crop. We are to wait because the Lord also waits. In fact, it's to our benefit that the Lord is a patient God, a waiting God. 
Patience doesn't mean he's not doing anything. <laughs> and, and actually, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And by the way, the context of this is the coming of the Lord. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I hope you notice that little bit of an important phrase after patient. He is patient with you. You know, I've always looked at that text and thought, oh, you know, the Lord's patient and I should be okay with the Lord being patient because all the people around me are needing to get saved and so that's why I should be really happy that the Lord's patient. Did you notice that the Lord says he's patient with you? What if he hadn't have been? How much convincing and convicting did it take by the Holy Spirit to drag you to Calvary? I don't mean to this church. I mean to the cross. Aren't you glad God was patient? He's measured. He is patient, but he is not slow. You got to think about that when things are really rough. He is patient, but he's not slow. He's not dragging his feet. His alarm clock has not, like, ceased to wake him up. Because he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He watches over me both night and day. And, and, and James basically is saying to them, you know, look at the Lord. He's coming. You, you've made it this far. You, you've, you've, you've hung in there. God's enabled you to hang in there. Don't give up now. Don't quit now. There's a, a second strategy that's found in verse 9. Unfortunately, not only do we have a tendency to be impatient and start wringing our hands and become anxious, but you know what we start doing? We start looking around to see who we can blame for this mess. Surely it's somebody's fault. Why, why am I in this tough time? Why am I in this trial? Why am I in this testing time? I, I got to look around. Somebody's responsible for this. And we start grumbling and complaining and we start grumbling to people around us because we don't like the way we're feeling. We don't like the way it is. And, and, and strategy number two that's really important is that real patience will wait for deliverance. It doesn't cause division. Because this is important, brothers and sisters. Don't start attacking each other, you know, when things are, are really rough. Don't go after each other. Don't take it out on each other. Because you need comfort. You don't need enemies. You're attacking the wrong people. And sometimes we get to the place where we start to grumble and complain against God. Because we know that God is sovereign and powerful. We know that in an instant, he can just speak change and it would occur. So why doesn't he change things right now? He doesn't want you to grumble. In fact, James says at the early part of the text, he wants you to count it all joy. It's the complete opposite. <laughs> count it all joy when you fall into these things. 
when tests and trials come your way, when tough times come your way. Count it all joy. God is using the storms to strengthen the stock. That's what the spring rain does, you see. The spring rain strengthens the stock of the plant so that it's able to hold the fruit that's coming. The strengthening of heart. God is working over your life, building something into your life. Don't compound your problems by grumbling against people. Grumbling against the Lord. God knows your suffering. It hasn't slipped his mind. And by the way, I want to be quick to say you can complain to God always. Always. You just can't complain about him. The Psalms are full of complaints to God. God wants the realness of our hearts. Go ahead. Feel free to tell me how hurt you are. That's who our Heavenly Father is. You don't chase away your children when they're coming to tell you how hurt they are. No, that's not it. But don't blame God. I don't know about you, but my first impressions about situations are almost 100% wrong. Almost always. So be very careful about how you judge people's motives or what they're going through or what's happening. Be very careful about grumbling or complaining about how things are going. In fact, James says here, don't forget, the judge is right at the door. I mean, think about it. Think about Jesus being on the other side of those doors right there. He's just, he's there. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at this. It's like, he's there, he's actually eavesdropping on your conversation. He can hear you complaining and grumbling at each other. He can hear you fighting. He can hear you taking each other on. He's right there, eavesdropping. The judge is right there. He's not getting it secondhand. But also, he's, he's just ready to burst through the door and call an end to the situation. So look to him. Wait, wait, wait. There's a third strategy. Brothers, he gives another example. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, just like you do. You are called to be his witnesses, right? Acts 1.8, you are my witnesses. We speak in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord's full of compassion and mercy. Strategy number three is this. Hang in there with patient endurance because that's the gold medal standard of authentic faith. He uses an example of, of those who've, who've had tough times, those who've had trials, those who've had struggles, those who've been persecuted, the prophets. You know about the prophets, he says. And by the way, he switches words here. The, the word here that's, that's being used for patience, this persevering word, really means to, to, to endure, to remain steadfast under, to remain under the burden, under the pressure. Don't run out of it. Stay under it. 
In fact, what he's really saying here is that prophet-like faith in tough times is to be the normal Christian life. This is not superstar status that he's talking about here, although it is a gold medal standard. This is not some lesson you say, well, okay, well, you know what? He's just talking about someone who has a profitability, someone who's, someone who's really special in God's eyes, somebody who's really meet, reached the high echelon places in the, in, in the leadership uh, um, hierarchy of the Lord's work. No, no, no. This, he says it's just the prophets are an example, and this is to be the common example of you. And then he rolls back for us so that we can actually get a picture of what he's talking about, a prophet that we all know by the name of Job. Rather than leave it just in a broad description as, you, well, you know the prophets and you know how tough it was for them, he actually says, you need to know about Job. Job sets kind of the standard, but... By the way, Job, Job is that picture of what's really happening in the invisible universe, whereby God just rolls back the curtain and shows us what's really going on. How in this struggle, this tough testing struggle times, temptations and all that's going on, the enemy of our hearts, the enemy of salvation, the enemy of our Lord, the one who wants us to stop swimming upstream and go the broad way that leads to destruction, that one. This is the common look. He's, he's always looking to destroy your life, to bring destruction to you, to, to, to steal, to murder, to destroy. And so God opens up and pulls back the curtains and shows us the reality of things. In the book of Job. And, and what grabs my attention about Job is, is, is a verse found in chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. Now, by the way, Job had... had fallen into what by our standards would certainly be a horrific time. He had lost his family. They, they, had, they had all been slaughtered by marauding warriors. He had lost his possessions. He himself was losing his health. I think we could all say it was a very bad day for Job. So it's not... Um, it's not over-exaggerating things. They're saying, oh, well, Job, really, what, what does he know about tough times? How bad could it really be? No, Job is the extreme. And, and the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. After the destruction that had come upon his life... And God says this, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. I find that um, quite an amazing picture of the uh, behind-the-scenes reality of things. I know for some of you, you're like, 
wow. What, is God just playing chess? He's just fooling around? And, and this is crucial for us to get. Critical for us to understand. God says, um, circle the word integrity and put a star beside it. In all of this trials and struggles and testing, Job demonstrated that he is the real thing. Now, by the way, trouble didn't make him real. Trouble proved him real. Trouble made him a more vintage version of real. We are always looking to connect the dots when trials and struggles and troubles come into our lives. And that's why I find this text very, very helpful and very insightful for living. It's not always a simple question of connecting the dots. We want to we come up with an explanation for everything. Why am I going through this struggle? Why do I have this health challenge? Why is it me? Why is it not them? Why is this challenge endlessly in my life? We want to connect the dots. We want to reason. We want to rationalize. Okay, yeah, because I said something bad. That's it. That's what it is. Because I, I did something bad to somebody. Okay, I can understand that. That's not how it works. Prophet-like faith, which is what God is requiring of us, which is what, what trials are intended to create in our lives, move us to the place where we no longer play the field of God and, 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 and the world at the same time, where we finally come to a recognition that God means more to me than anything or anyone. In fact, the prophet knew that you take what you get. The prophet knew that you give up what you wish you could have. The prophet knew that you don't get what you think you deserve because the glory of God's grace and mercy, the magnificence of his value to us, totally eclipses these momentary troubles. We live out our days, these days, not purposed for our glory, but for God's. Our glory comes after God has fully vindicated his. And so he allows various trials and struggles and troubles to come into our lives that we might be weaned off of things and people and success and riches and comfort so that God will be all in all in our lives. I think the Apostle Paul gave perhaps the most clear representation of this reality in, in, in Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, when he says this, what if God 
choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience, there's that word, the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called? Let me unpack that just very quickly for you. You know what this is really, really leading us to? Tough times, tough people, people who, who attack you, situations that are nasty, that are all around you, that God patiently endures, are for the purpose in this theater that we live in and watch, are for the purpose of us seeing how undesirable and how unlovable and how nasty and how rotten we were. And how amazing God's grace and mercy and compassion are. That he would lift us out of all of that in spite of who we are and bring us into his kingdom. That we would marvel at his glory as we continue to look at all that goes around us. And so instead of immediately zapping all the trouble, instead of immediately zapping all the nasty people, I mean... Wouldn't it just make so much sense? To, doesn't it make so much sense to us? Wouldn't it be so much easier if God ran the universe by every time somebody was really rotten, they just evaporated? But then I have to think about, wait a minute. No, no. God bears with great patience those who will not even come to him so that in that theater, we can see ourselves and see how amazing the grace of God is every day as I look around and say, man, I can see it in my own life, but I can see it in, in, in lives of people who hate God. And I think, that was once who I was. I, I once was totally rebellious against God. And in spite of myself, he pulled me into his kingdom. How amazing is his grace. And we glorify him. We who he has prepared someday for our own glory. Romans 9.30. And so Job didn't have a contract faith with God. If everything goes all right, I'll love you. He had a covenant relationship, a covenant faith with God. I will glorify you. I will love you no matter what. Because you have loved me. And he wants us to have that kind of relationship with him. He wants us to come to the place where we don't have a contract relationship with God. As long as it's really good, I'm really good with God. As long as it's good, I'm rejoicing God with God. As long as it's really good, I come in and worship with all my heart here. No, no, no. That's a, that's a contract relationship. He wants us to have prophet-like faith. A covenant relationship that says, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Until we get to the place that Jesus is the desire, even if it's really rough. Some of you, God has already taken you on that journey. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are in that journey. Some of you have yet to be taken there. 
Last week, Charles sang a Fernando Ortega song, one I really like, Give Me Jesus. I'd like to write another verse for that song. When I am in pain, when I am in pain, when I am in pain, give me Jesus. And I got to tell you that that's a song I'd like to sing, but it's not one that has yet taken up residence in my heart. When I am in pain, get me pain relief. And all of this, James says, is in the context of the coming of Jesus Christ. Why do we wait patiently? Why can we be calm in our expectancy? Why can we endure with patience? No matter how long the struggle is, no matter how tough the road is, no matter how painful the journey is, Jesus is coming again. And it'll be over. For pain and suffering and, and challenges and nasty people and all of that. But in the meantime, indispensable quality to make it through the waiting room in a fallen kingdom at war with God is patience. Wait, wait on the Lord. And it says in the text, not only did the farmer get his good crop, but the prophet who persevered was blessed. At the end of the Job story, in chapter 42, after all has been said and done, and Job has gone through all this horrendous trial in his life and had the pretty much useless conversations with friends who weren't all that helpful, he says to the Lord at the end of Job, in Job 42, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is that? Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And then Job says this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, it's one thing for our eyes to read theology out of the Bible. It's entirely another thing when God brings the whole thing to your reality. It's one thing to um, have packed in our heads somewhere our Sunday school lessons about who God is and what he looks like. It's another thing to finally, in the crucible of trials and testings and struggles over a protracted time, to see him, to really get to know him, to realize that when everything else is stripped away, he doesn't go away. He stays with you. He is the only one who can be depended upon and the only one who can be relied upon. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And Job was able to say, you know what? I had heard about you. 
I had heard good things about you. But now, now I know you. Now I know you. I really know you. And in coming to know you, you are more precious than ever. That's what it means to be patient and wait on the Lord. And that's what the good crop is that he promises you. Our Father, thank you for your word to us. Lord, thank you for bringing your word alive in our lives. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is not an interesting discovery. This is not something we should just hear about. This is something you intend for us to experience fully and not be disappointed. Oh, Father, thank you that you are full of mercy and compassion and patient with me. Please, Lord, may I be patient. Wait. Grow. Mature. Gain what is lacking. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems to me pretty appropriate in light of that to gather around the table of the Lord because... Not only are we called upon to celebrate our salvation, but in so doing, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a living ceremony for you. No matter what your situation is this morning, how tough your times are this morning, it's a reminder that God is your Savior, full of mercy and compassion, and that the same Lord who saved you is coming back for you to rescue you. So wait for him. Wait patiently. Let this celebration of communion be a, a, an offering to the Lord, a, a recommitment of your vows to the Lord. Lord, I will wait for you. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as a life-transforming Savior, if you have not embraced him, if you have not welcomed him into your life, then please do not participate in the elements of this ceremony because the elements are a celebration of something that's happened in your heart, a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Please stay with us, but don't participate. On the other hand, I would call on you, all of you, as the prophets of old would call on you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day if you hear the calling of the Lord in your life, do not harden your hearts, but respond to him. Because the Lord Jesus is right at the door. He's right at the door. He's coming back again. And when he comes back again, there will be no more time for different decisions. Decisions are made then. That's it. So today is the day. Fall on your knees in repentance and ask the Lord to come into your life and save you, forgive you of your sins, and he will. And then celebrate with us. Participate of this great ceremony of your salvation. I'm going to ask Deacon Paul Griffiths to return thanks for the bread. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me.
The Lord can say to us, be patient, because your trials have not come from a passive, powerless God, but a very purposeful one. John Piper says this, in reality, our pain and losses are always a test of how much we treasure the all-wise, all-governing God in comparison to what we have lost. There's no quick, trivial answers to the deep things of life, and nor should there be. A quick fix is never what we're looking for. In fact, deep always calls out to deep. And so the Lord says, be patient. Look to me. Let me be your desire. I'll fix it. I am fixing it. I intend to come. Wait till I come. Uh, my arrival is near. You need any mercy? Do you need any compassion? I come full of mercy and compassion. So be patient. Wait expectantly. Endure patiently. Father, we can only do this by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit in us, reminding us that these dark times, these tough times, these testing times, the times of trials, the time of pain is a time where you are weaning us off of all things so that we desire you only. And Lord, that we do when all things are considered, that we still desire you is proof positive of how powerful and thorough is your salvation that you have brought us into your kingdom, you have brought us into your heart, never to let us go. So we can wait patiently for our great God who never disappoints, who brings forth a good crop in due season, who blesses those who persevere, full of compassion and mercy. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you.